The Incomparable is brought to you by Tonks. Get fresh roasted coffee in your mailbox, and there's a free trial if you visit tonks.org, T-O-N-X dot org slash I-N-C. The Incomparable, number 163, October 2013. Welcome back to The Incomparable. I'm your host, Jason Snell. And a little while ago, we asked our listeners to write iTunes reviews. They didn't even have to be good. We're not participating in some sort of fraud here. They could be any kind of iTunes review. And randomly, we would select somebody from the iTunes reviewers, and they would get to pick the topic of an episode. And we indeed chose somebody at random. It was an Australian fellow. His name is Dave Gork Roger and Dave picked he had actually already recommended these books to us on Twitter and mentioned the author's name and then the author jumped in on Twitter and also recommended his books <laughs> big surprise uh, and so this is what we did so we read um, uh, a series of books by John Birmingham the Axis of Time trilogy uh, Weapons of Choice is the first book in this series um, I believe some of us on this podcast read more than that. So we're going to talk about that a little bit, hopefully keeping it spoiler light enough. I personally, I don't actually think there are a lot of things that could spoil these these books. It's not really those, they're not those kind of books where it's like, oh, nobody say what happens to this person. Uh, you know, I, I don't I don't think you can be spoiled. So we're going to go try to go a little light on the spoilers. We're also going to try to talk about other books in this genre, which is sort of, essentially alt history um so anyway let me introduce now that i've introduced our premise and i've thanked dave who suggested this as our contest winner let me introduce our panelists as always for a book club you know him you love him you've missed him because he hasn't been on in a little while it's scott mcnulty hi scott hello jason it's good to be back other than being our dungeon master we haven't heard from you in a while it's true on the the very popular Dungeons and Dragons. Oh, yes, they're extremely popular. <laughs> I rolled a, D tw- a D20 to find out how popular they were, and it was a critical hit. Oh, <laughs> see what you did? You, you're, you've you become inoculated with... Yes. Uh, also, I was making a, like a, uh, an editorial reviews joke there. It's a critical uh, hit. The D&D so episodes are a this critical is, this hit. This is what I've been missing. I know. <laughs> I know. You have been missing it. I think, sadly, I think the listeners may have been missing this, too. So... <laughs> Uh, that laughter you heard there is uh, the new Dan Moore, and he's also now on every podcast. It's David Lore. Hi, David. Hello there. Welcome. I'm, I'm going to put that on my business card now. The new Dan. The new Moran. Dan Moran. Yeah, nobody knows who Dan Moran is, but that's okay. Yeah, you could be the new one of that <laughs> of that thing. So, okay, John Birmingham, Axis of Time. I read all three of these books uh, because I read the first one. And I thought, oh, you know, in the end, uh, I kind of want to want to see where this goes goes next. Scott, did you read all three? I did read all three because uh, I thought, why not? Why the not? The first one was quick. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Quick and and, 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 and there wasn't enough. There weren't enough Nazis in the first one. So no, was, but there was there the promise. To be Nazis, but but there was the promise of Nazis at the end. It, Again, it was, we should probably even blow this spoiler horn here. David, how much of uh, Weapons of Choice did you read? Did you read the whole thing? Did you get through most of it? I got through most of it, and I can imagine reading the others in the series <laughs> you can imagine it in <laughs> yes. the future yes it is very plausible in a science fiction way. okay so we should probably explain what um what this what the series is and again if you want to read these books uh with um with no spoilers whatsoever you probably should steer away but i feel like we could other than a faint spoiler horn heard in the distance i would like to not you know, not not uh, drive people away because I think most people probably have not even heard of these books uh, that our friend Dave recommended to us. But what what I found interesting about them is this is a um, this is a series that is a combination of first off we should say military fiction and sci-fi in the sense that they're it's set in the in the future this future military U.S. and allied military so they've got technology that doesn't exist currently. And then there's a lot of nuts and bolts. I I got almost uh, Tom Clancy kind of vibe from some of it. There's a lot of dwelling on sort of the details of the equipment and of the battles in this that felt very very Tom Clancy like to me. Yeah, correct. We uh, we we um talked about this yesterday uh, on a totally different Skype call about how um you know the the, the Tom Clancy divide is sort of like you want to be hunt, hunt for Red October and you don't want to be Red Storm Rising. 
uh, because Red Storm Rising is a thousand pages of lots of military details, and The Hunt from Red October is like a really interesting story with interesting people doing interesting things, and Red Storm Rising, not. A thousand pages of not interesting. Uh, have you guys read any Tom Clancy stuff? Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> he said he said with well that's the tom clancy answer which is initially it was very exciting and then later i was filled with regret yeah yeah i mean i read i read red october when it came out from the naval institute press yes how early oh, yeah. i read that and, and then started reading red storm rising and went Ooh. oh and this and i really came back and with the what cardinal of the kremlin ah, was yeah. when i came back to him and then i read a few more and then i you know then it slowly Became, you know, Eventually like, okay, he becomes now. Tom Clancy Incorporated and it's sort of a right. factory of books put out under the brand name of Tom Clancy. You know, suddenly you have J- Jack Ryan as the head of the CIA and then suddenly he's the president and eventually he'll become Pope and then soon he'll become like he's the emperor of the, the universe. Of the galactic, and... galactic Empire, I think, yeah. at the end. Yeah. yeah. Scott, what about I, you? I'd read that book. Uh, I read <laughs> The Hunt for Red October. Yeah. And I, I still remember details about... Uh, the engine of the Russian submarine. Oh, yes, the, cavi- the cavitation with the yes. special yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> it's very exciting. <laughs> yes, the whisper cavitation drive of the exactly. Red October. But that's the kind of detail that people who read those kinds of books want, right? So I guess and we would call this military science fiction in some ways, although it strikes me as being yeah. kind of not quite that and more military and science fiction and not like so much together so the idea here is that the this um war war fleet in the pacific ocean or uh, on the way to the indian ocean i guess um is carrying with them a a ship that's got these scientists egghead scientists up to no good and they are trying to create a, a weapon that will let them essentially teleport weapons to their destinations instead of having to you know shoot them at people and as scientists sometimes uh do they screw it up and the entire battle group is sucked through a wormhole, as ha- so often happens. And they emerge in the early days of World War II, where they are plopped down um, in the vicinity, direct vicinity of an American battle group that's about to go meet a, uh, a Japanese attack um, on the what, Marshall Islands, I think. Midway? Midway. 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 Yeah. Midway. Right before the Battle of Midway. Yeah. Uh, so we get this. So, so what we originally think is this sort of futuristic uh, military uh, stuff is now intermixed with the the historical military stuff. And as with superheroes who meet and don't know that they're both superheroes, <laughs> there is a fight. There's they a battle fight. because they don't know who the other one is. In the fog of war, it's very confusing. And so the super 21st century military of the 20 what 2040, 2035, something like that. 2021. 2021. Oh, it's not that far. Well, th- these books were written a while ago, and it's that yeah. tech is not coming in 2021. But mm, it's okay. a ni- it's a nice thought. Uh, they they're they're thrown back in time, and they they are demolishing large chunks of this 1940 battle group because they've got you know they've got 80 years on them, 75 years on them, uh, and that's and and that's the first. I would say that's the first like 30 percent using Kindle terms. 30% of the book. <laughs> How many dots is that? Yeah, it's lots of dots. And and this was something uh we were talking about with Dan Morin cuz he tried to he tried to read this and and was struggling with it. And I honestly I was struggling with the beginning of this too because the beginning of this book is not really my cup of tea. It is a lot of technical detail yeah. about about ships and armaments and then and then it becomes like a what if a 21st century uh naval battle group attacked a World War II naval battle group. How badly would they destroy those ships? And we see that. And I, that stuff didn't that stuff didn't interest interest me at all. It was after the shooting stopped and the people from these seventy years apart cultures had to meet that that the book started to get interesting for me. I, I'm interested in what you guys thought at the beginning of the book when when we were really talking more about technology than we were talking about culture and people. Well, that's yeah, yeah, that's what took me so long in the beginning was you know going oh this is this isn't tom clancy it's maybe larry bond level of you know not quite being tom clancy and it just keeps going and going and going and there are all these names and all these things and i mean certain things like naming a ship the uss hillary clinton yes that's not going to happen by 2021 and so things like that would take me right out of it so this book was written 
in the timeline of this book, Hillary Clinton was elected president in 2008 and assassinated at, at a later time. <laughs> um, <laughs> That's right. So it was published in 2004. Right. So. Okay. So so and, yes, it's like I said, it's it's diverged a little bit from our our world already. But yeah. so you were yeah. you were okay with the uh, wormhole transporting them back to 1942, but the but, uh, USS Hillary, Hillary Clinton. Clinton. Wait a second. <laughs> yeah, well, because it's it's presented as so you know here's here's this absolutely realistic kind of thing that we're trying to set up, and I just I couldn't get into that. But but part of it was just the over reliance on the technology. As soon as it started dealing with human beings dealing with one another and getting interesting, then it was like, oh, yeah, okay. Um, I mean, it's like you guys remember the the whisper drive of the Red October. I The thing that stuck with me was, I only wanted to see Nebraska. Oh, yes. You know, it was the character stuff. Um, as interesting as the Also, it was, Mon- drive it was Montana, which is much more interesting than Montana. Nebraska. Oh, I, I have always damn. wanted to see Montana. Oh, damn. Sam Neill. Oh. Spoiler alert for the hunt for Red October, by the way. <laughs> Sam Neill doesn't make it. But he would have liked to have seen Montana. Well, who who wouldn't like to see Montana? Yeah. Um, no interesting. But yeah, it's it's once once the book really started to focus on the humans, then it was like, oh, okay. And and just the differences but you know, the culture clash between the twenty first century and the nineteen forties. Right. Um and that's why I, I can see wanting to continue and reading the rest of them. Because I would hope there's more of that, and and the promise of Nazis. Yeah, Scott, did you you know the did promise. you have that same reaction about the the technology and the the battle stuff? Well, I I've read uh, not an insignificant amount of military science fiction, which is all about weapon systems yeah. basically and people shooting at each other. <laughs> Imaginary future weapon systems. Woo. It's true, and usually it is uh, humans killing some sort of uh, alien. Um, in in many inventive ways. So it was kind of, I knew, it was familiar to me, and I also know that people who are, you know, obsessed with World War II uh, obsess about the various um, armaments and, you know, classifications of ships. So he had it both ways, right? He had future stuff that he could talk about, and then he has uh, actual World War II things, and some of the characters from the future, are obsessed with World War II armaments, which I thought was a nice touch, mm, and are yeah. building, like, have built models of the ships that they're meeting, and they're very right. excited about it. Uh, so it didn't take me... I I read it very quickly, and I uh, did not dislike it, and I didn't have a problem with the USS Hillary Clinton, because uh, I like Hillary Clinton. <laughs> well, and, and she's, it's very clear as it goes along that she was she was the president in this scenario, and and is uh, and then and then and was was and then, and assassinated, and so they yes. made her and bombed many countries apparently too. So they made her the. Uh, it happens. Yeah, yeah. It was um, also for uh, I believe Australian um, as well novelist, but uh, lots of equal time for the Australians and for the English and for the Americans. Which I thought was interesting, but yeah, the, the the part of this, the thing that makes this book, and it's the thing that works for me in a lot of science fiction, is then we meet the characters, and the characters again, they're military people. There are some of them that are sort of interesting. The the uh, the admiral who's in charge of the uh, future battle group is is kind of an interesting guy, and there are the sub commander, the British sub commander, who's of I think Pakistani descent. Uh, is an interesting character. But what's most interesting is actually the, the cultures. I mean, that that's really the story of this book is, or these books, is the culture clash. And I thought that was by far the most interesting thing and was really fascinating. The idea, because what it's really positing is how much our societies, you know, have changed in, in, in this time. And yeah, sure, into 10 or 15 years into the future. How, and, and what would really happen if somebody from 1940 America uh, or, you know, or England or Australia ran into somebody with the values and beliefs of, of somebody from the 21st century? And we think of those people as being our, they're our ancestors and they're like us and they're, they're on our side and they're from our country. But, um, I thought this book was really gr- great and unflinching about the fact that it would be kind of rough because <sighs> there would be racism and sexism Jesus. and, you know, you name it. We, we're talking about an integrated, both racially and by gender, 
military in the 21st century. It's a professional integrated military. And in World War II, it's a segregated men-only military. And all of the ugliness of that uh, collision is dealt with in the story. And I thought I thought it was really nice and thought-provoking and challenging to say, you know, this is not going to be one of those, hey, it's us from the past, high five. Instead, <laughs> yeah. it's like, oh, crap. <laughs> Uh, why do you have why do you have black people and women on your ships? You people are awful. Obviously, the future is a terrible place. And the people from the from the twenty first century are like, who are these idiots? These racist idiots. These are the guys who saved the world. And they both, you know, and it's not one sided because you, there's also this, um, you know, the, the 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 there's some questions that the uh, World War Two people raise about the uh about our culture and and after you know decades of a war on terror and all of that what has it done to degrade our culture so i thought that was really the best part yeah and i thought it was interesting that he made the the task force from the future is a multinational task force right so they have uh ships from japan and soldiers from germany on the the boats which could cause some uh trouble when you transport back to 1942 could be could be some some trouble there yes they're not as popular no. in the, uh, with the Allies at that time. <laughs> no, no. But the culture clash, I don't know if you guys thought that. I mean, I, I, it was, it's, it's, there's some really ugly <laughs> things that happen yeah. <laughs> and, uh, up to and including a murder of uh, a Japanese uh, soldier or Japanese uh, scientist, sailor guy, and a, and a, a black, uh, I think a gay black woman who's uh, in charge of a yes. ship. And mm-hmm. they're murdered horribly, but also there's just a lot of really kind of unpleasant back and forth, and the and the 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 black and 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 women characters especially get a lot of abuse. And um, I, you know, I again, I, I just I, I thought it was it was great to see that portrayed that way because it was so unflinching about how society has 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 changed in the oh. intervening time. Oh yeah, I mean that that was definitely the most interesting thing to me, just because it's also something we haven't seen before in this kind of a story. I mean, yeah, you've got traveling back in time, you've got alternate history, but you know, I mean, maybe uh, what's what's the joke in the city on the edge of forever when uh, Spock's hat comes off and someone sees his ears and oh he he's uh, Asian and he got my friend is caught. obviously Chinese. He got caught. His ears got caught in a rice picking machine. It's like, ouch. Okay. Uh, well, but yeah, but you know that's you Captain know. Kirk saying, "Hey, we're in the 1930s. Everybody's horribly racist here. I can <laughs> just use right. horribly racist things, and it'll totally <laughs> get true. me off scot free. Scot free being also racist about the people from Scotland. But Scotty's not here, so he doesn't care. So let's just be racist, and nobody will notice. That's that's what yeah. Captain Kirk's thing. That was his plan." <laughs> Yeah, uh, in the Star Trek, in that Star Trek future, uh, they stamped out racism, but sexism—they still had some trouble with sexism. Yes, well, you, you know, know it's one, one step at a time. One at a time, <laughs> exactly right. I was going to say two out of three isn't bad, but I don't know what the second one was. But anyway, uh, money. Yeah, sure, money. We stamped out money. Hmm. Sure, sure. Why not? And so I thought it was interesting how so the the 1942 contemporary people, the Allies, obviously hate. The Germans and the the Japanese. Uh, the Japanese think that everyone is uh, inferior to them. The Germans obviously think. You know, I'm painting in broad strokes here. The Germans think everyone is uh, it's inferior to them. The future people kind of are thinking. Well, these 1942 people are kind of idiots. Yeah. So everybody is kind of thinking I'm the best, and everyone should just obviously fall in line with me, and the rest should get out of the way. So there's a lot of tension between all of that. Yeah, the World War II people, the temps, I guess they end up calling for contemporary, um, as opposed to the, the, the 21s or the 21sts. The, um, we, we think about this, this. These books also say something about how we think about history, right? I mean, that's one of the things that alt history does is you think about history and how it would be different. But also, you know, we've flattened World War II to be, there were the allies, they were good, they were all for... Um, you know, goodness over the Axis who were, you know, again, the the Nazis and, and taking uh, Jews and, and gays and, and, and killing them all, the, they are the bad guys, right? Except that that's what the 21st century people have to face when they go back in time is, oh, these people are horribly racist too. Huh, they're just less bad than <laughs> those right, guys who are really bad. And then also one of the things that's fascinating is, 
is there are several examples where there are facts that are known and and in the early days of the incursion mm-hmm. into in, in back in time they they're like okay there are these hor- the horrible things happening there's the 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 baton death march is happening right there are these awful treatments of civilian prisoners of war and meanwhile the holocaust is going on and the people from the 21st century are like you need to do something to stop this and you know in hindsight with history we can be like well you know they had to, they had to fight a war and they didn't know what was going on but what this book says is if you told them what was going on they would still be like, sorry, we're not going to do anything about that. We need to fight the war, not rescue civilians. And so there's that whole conflict that I thought was really fascinating. We're like, you should do something about this. And Churchill and Roosevelt and the like are like, yeah, nah, we got other, we got bigger fish to fry. And (laughs) it's really, yeah, we'll get to it. It'll sort itself out. (laughs) I thought that was really interesting. That's true. And then, so the, the 21st century people come from a very, a different time where the, you know, terrorism, and I don't know if this really comes up in the first book, but they have very different tactics than uh, the contemporary people do, which becomes very clear in the later books when they're doing, they're, they're addressing certain atrocities with uh, vim and vigor. (laughs) Uh, And so the the contemporary people are kind of thinking, what are we turning? We're turning into the the kind of savagery that we're fighting, right? There's uh, this. There's this. Um, that's definitely a commentary in the in the book. Is is what that, that's where we turn the tables. Is the easy comparison is boy, we've come a long way since back then. And then it flips around and you see from the eyes, like there's there's the one character who's the contemporary guy who falls in love with the woman who's the New York Times reporter from the mm-hmm. 21st century. And, he, you know, we see through his eyes, the, the contemporaries are kind of horrified with the, you know, how kind of like crude and rough the culture is and how there's much less, it seems like almost horror. They're like so jaded about, about, about war and about acts of violence and um seeing it from that perspective is really interesting because it's also challenging what we're becoming and yeah they 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 talk about how the the japanese soldiers who are crashing their planes and all of these things are are, are these horrible dishonorable evil things and yet you know they've been fighting a war on terror for 20 years and they're you know prepared to commit sort of like battlefield atrocities because they've got a particular code that says if you know if these guys are guilty of this you just kill them just summarily execute them on the battlefield which is not appropriate um yeah great i i love it when when science fiction especially can do that and make you and and turn the tables like that where all of a sudden there was some moment and i think it was with the with the guy who was dating the woman from the new york times where i suddenly was like oh geez because i had seen I, I was starting to see them through his eyes. Mm-hmm. And and the, what would be the horror of somebody from 1940 seeing these people and saying, this is what we saved the world for? Is these people? Yeah. It's true. And that's what I think raises this series. Uh, he's a f- capable writer, but I think that his uh, his playing with this culture and kind of turning, you know, making people think about uh, our own culture in a different way and uh, re-examining the past uh, makes it, kind of rises it above kind of everyday alt history crap <laughs> the everyday every alternate day every oh, parallel right. day of alt history all right let's take a brief break move through dimensions from a parallel universe back into our real universe so i can tell you about our sponsor it's tonks if you're somebody who's enthusiastic about sci-fi or fantasy or books or movies or tv or any of the sort of things we cover on the incomparable i have a question for you which is are you enthusiastic about coffee there are a lot of people who are very enthusiastic about coffee just like they're enthusiastic about the things we talk about here tonks is a subscription service for coffee they have great beans that they find they roast the coffee themselves in los angeles and then they ship out the coffee the next day within 24 hours it gets shipped out uh, fresh roasted coffee tastes much better than the stale coffee you're going to find in grocery stores or cafes. They ship it to you, and then two weeks later, they ship you some more. So your coffee is always fresh, and they're doing the roasting themselves, and it's sourced from all over the world. It's really interesting. And Tonks goes even beyond that. They have an editor-in-chief. They have a magazine called The Frequency, which is done by email. It's got a lot of fun coffee-related stuff in it. Members get it for free. And if you like coffee, it's worth a try, and you can get a free trial. If you go to this URL, tonks, that's T-O-N-X, 
org slash INC, the first three letters of the incomparable, INC. So tonks.org slash INC, and you'll get a free trial. You'll get a free two-ounce bag of coffee in the mail. You can try it out and decide if it's something that you like, and if so, you can sign up for one of the subscriptions. And they've got smaller bags and bigger bags, and they come to you every couple of weeks. So it's a really cool idea using the internet and people who really know coffee to come up with this very cool subscription service. They, they ship to the U.S. and Canada, and that URL again, tonks, T-O-N-X, dot org, slash I-N-C. If you like coffee, if you're enthusiastic about coffee, you owe it to yourself to give this a try and see if you might want to convert from being somebody who has those old beans stuck away somewhere in your house to fresh roasted beans every two weeks in your mailbox. Tonks, Tonks.org slash INC, and thank you to Tonks for sponsoring The Incomparable. So the time travel aspect of this I also really liked because of the way he handled it. So many time travel stories we see, especially in movies or TV shows, are about... It's the back to the future model, right? It's like, oh, I'm back in time. I need to make sure that I don't step on any butterflies or whatever, and then get... Because I got to get back to my home right. time. And I the the rules of, this, of, the, of these books are... Pretty straightforward, and again, it seems ridiculous to say this is how time travel would actually work, but I feel like this is how time travel would actually work, which is they go through this wormhole, and essentially they're creating a parallel universe by uh, by changing the course of history by their presence, and everybody accepts pretty quickly the fact that um, they're never going to get back, especially since the the ship that had the technology in it was destroyed they're never going to get back they're here forever there's no way home and from the moment that they arrive history is irrevocably changed and every minute that passes after their arrival the what they know for sure about what's going on in this world is uh is fading away and is diverging because their presence has changed the course of the future and i like that 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 this book embraces that and says no no this is there's no there's not gonna be any shenanigans of like we're going back to the future we're not gonna have a you know uh sort of cheats about well we know everything that's gonna happen so we can fix everything in fact it makes it more complicated because hitler and everybody in the japanese command they get access to these future histories and say oh well i'm not gonna do that and everything (laughs) changes which is great it's true, and that's. I thought it was interesting when they first come, they realize that fairly quickly, the the people from the 21st century, and they're like, okay, we need to really act on this information right now, because we have a small window in which our records are exactly right, so let's make some decisions right now and change some stuff. Yeah, they've got their web right. cache or whatever of, of of some basic information. You know, they've got they've got a bunch of information from the twenty first century, and it, right down to the weather. There's a really nice moment where they're, they're and I think it's in the first oh, yeah. book where they notice that the weather is not what their recorded weather was, and they're like, you know, it's come. We've done so much to change things now that not even the weather is the same as we thought it would be. Like we're right. we're completely off the track. And the, I mean, the first book ends I, I, without. It's not a major spoiler. The first book ends with the Axis powers essentially realizing that they need to make some changes in what their strategy is based on because they know they're going to lose, right? I mean, the the you know Hitler knows that he's going to commit suicide in a bunker, and and Japan High Command knows that they're going to have two of their cities uh, nuked. And even the, the the allies, even the Soviets know that the Soviet Union is going to fall and Stalin isn't going to like that very much. And so everybody is sort of rethinking their strategy, which leads to, you know, more divergence. And meanwhile, I guess for the fans of the military tech stuff, um, everybody's like, hey, those are pretty cool toys you've got there. Maybe we could knock those, knock those off. So, you know, there's that too. A lot a lot of stuff going on, but I like that that we're not taking time to worry about going back to, you know, back to the 21st century. It's never going to happen and everybody kind of accepts that 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 they're not going to go down that path. It's never going to happen. They're stuck in this parallel universe. Einstein appears at one point and basically talks to talks to the 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 admiral and and says, you know, that world is very close to us. <laughs> But you'll never get there because it's in a parallel universe. <laughs> Thank you, Einstein. <laughs> the Einstein cameo. Then they ran into Spock Prime, and you know, <laughs> it, it is it, it, it's a very similar thing in that it yeah uh, 
both things are very clever ways of taking of, of creating a parallel universe without negating the other universe, the previous one. Right. You know, like the the movies could have just completely negated the entire next generation and all that, but they didn't. They found a way around that and still did a reboot. And that's one of the things I like here too, is that I I I, I love that the focus isn't on let's get back or let's not change anything. It's it's let's see what would happen if yeah. this dropped in here. And now if this puzzle piece is shifted, what would this do? And then what would this do? And what would this do? And it's that sort of domino effect of all of these things that have changed. Um, so again, that's, I, I'm, I reading the next two books is, is very plausible because I want to see where that goes. Yeah. Even the, you know, even the legal issues that come up are fascinating. Yeah. It's like who, yeah. who owns this technology? Who owns the patents on this stuff? What about 21st century laws? Who's in the, what's the chain of command? These American ships are from the America of the 21st century. So, you know, they, who, who do they report to? Where do their loyalties lie? Do they want to run the world, the 21st century people? Do they want to just take orders from from MacArthur and from President Roosevelt, um, who who also they use some advanced medical scanning equipment to put off his his death to extend his life a little bit, which I also really liked. Like things like that, you would do. Um, what about intellectual property? I think in the second book. There's this whole question of like all the movies and music that were created in the intervening 75 years are now available. So Hmm. what does that do to, you know, presumably those stars like, you know, now they find Elvis as a little boy and sign him (laughs) to a contract, which actually happens in one of the future books. It's just a little throwaway kind of thing. But there's all of that, too. It's like what happens to this culture where... Hmm. They're, you know, it's not just that these these people have been dropped in seventy five years in the past. It's like literally all music and art and all books and all movies for the next seventy five years have just been dropped on this society, which I would imagine would cause a huge upheaval in culture that we we don't see a lot of, mostly because the world's at war. And so everybody's kind of distracted, but you get the hint that there are references to people from contemporary time listening to ACDC and stuff like that. And it's just like, wow, everything is really messed up now, <laughs> which I, but it's fun. I enjoyed that, that, that it was trying to play through all the ramifications of this clash of cultures. And, yeah. and, and it's not all just sort of like, wouldn't it be cool if, but it's like, well, maybe not because, and then try to get all of that while still having the storyline, a really nice through storyline, which is World War II with <laughs> with with where everybody has foreknowledge. And some people have advanced weaponry that's running out, but they've got it. And another detail that I liked uh, along those lines is that they were talking at one of the books, one of the characters uh, made like an offhand comment about their salary and how like a, a, a captain on the, the in the ship makes more money than the president does in this current time. Right. And so they had to figure out how they're going to pay these people and what do they just get what their salary should be or is it do they have to adjust for inflation or deflation, I suppose. Right. <laughs> Right, all the while counting how many magic drones and bullets and missiles they've got left exactly. before they run out. And I kept thinking about that. It's like you, they're all, they've got their iPads, and this book was written before the iPad, but they're called FlexiPads, so they're almost iPads. Mm-hmm. Um, and I kept thinking, you keep using that thing, you're going to drain the battery, and you can't get a replacement <laughs> battery. Um, Pretty soon it's going to be hooked up to the AC power all the time. Well, he did, he did mention that the battery recharges itself by the heat of holding it in motion. Yeah, it's magic panels. tech. It'll last for yeah, a while. It'll just work. <laughs> but I, I like that, too, that you, you know, you're going to end up with these. Uh, I, I think there are some scenes where they're like taking planes from the, the aircraft carrier, and, and rather than flying them, they're taking them and disassembling them so they can like document <laughs> how they work because you're going to end up with these are the these are the only things that they can use to try and bootstrap better technology coming out of uh you know 1940 because they've got these examples but uh in a lot of cases the 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 supply chain isn't there it's right like if you have well, an the iPhone don't exist right if you have an iPhone right. and you go back in time to 1945 you can't even if you bring your charger with you if you were smart enough to carry your charger in your pocket in case you fell through a wormhole and ended up in 1940 <laughs> it could happen which i do they, they couldn't make an iPhone in 1940 because they don't have any of the materials to make the factories to make it. I, you know, none of that is possible. And they run into that here too, which I, I thought was a nice touch that it's not, 
easily replicable stuff. It's that it's that old thing about how, you know, if the world if there was an apocalypse, we couldn't all just sort of like remake our technology from here today because we would have to we we you know, it's all bootstrapped on all these other things that are would be gone. So I like that I like that aspect of it too, that they're that they're you know, they can't make more of their whatever crazy fusion bombs because they don't have they can't it'll take 30 years for them knowing knowing the answer they'll they'll still take 30 years to figure out how to be, how to make them i thought that was and cool. i liked how the the contempt some of the contemporary military uh people like they have obviously they have all the records of world war ii so they're like well if you just do a few things to improve your tanks it'll be much better for you and the military's like well i don't know if we trust you and your right. changes even though this has actually happened and you aren't and there's the complacency issue where the americans are sort of like hey we're going to win whereas the axis is like oh crap we need to change everything because we're going to lose and so that right. that's an interesting dynamic too that the germans and the japanese are much more inclined to change their tactics and the americans are a little more skeptical about it uh, in fact i think one of the big motivators for the americans to change their tactics is that is that the uh, the 21st century battle group destroys a huge amount of the U.S. Navy in the right, Pacific, yes. and so they sort of have to adapt because, oops, <laughs> we, we blew up your <laughs> navy. Sorry, we did those. We broke your little ships. Yeah, we didn't know it was you. Anyway, I I, I enjoyed reading them. I was I was kind of carried along after after that first hump of the first 30 percent or so, where where it was slow going because it was so much about that battle, and I kept saying, you know. Show me the characters, you know, get me more. I, I'm much more interested in the incursion and what this, what effect this has on the world than I am about a bunch of ships fighting. Uh, once, once that happened, I, I really kind of got swept along and really enjoyed seeing all of these crazy permutations of uh, the ripples of this one event and how they impact, you know, the culture. And then, and then after that, you know, like you said, Scott, it's a, it's a fast, enjoyable read after you get through the nuts and bolts that just doesn't work for me that that military nuts and bolts i think the second and third books as a whole are much more interesting because he kind of lets go of all the technology and listing weapon systems in general and just kind Mm. of plays with the cultural impact and and what would happen if people had access to this history and how it diverges and then the pop culture stuff he just kind of plays around with a lot more and serious diversions diversions at that point too where you've got yes you know, a war war being waged in Australia and in, in alternate D Day happening, and questions about what the Japanese um, plan of attack in the Pacific is going to be, and and uh, attacking Hawaii directly, and all sorts of interesting things that didn't happen in our our version of World War Two. So he gets to finally play on that after all the setup. So yeah, basically it's three books, but you got to get through that initial setup to get to the point where it really starts paying off. But after that, I, I enjoyed it. I, you know, I, 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 I think our deal with Dave was that we only had to read the first one, but you and I both went and bought the next two and, and read them all. So I think that's, that's I think true. that's a bit of an endorsement. Yes. Yeah. It turns out I yeah. bought the first one uh, in 2009. So huh. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't read it, but I have it. Well done. Well done. You knew. I knew what Dave, he was going to recommend. Dave was whispering in your ear even then. <laughs> a, a multinational task force was, uh, yes. came back to 2009. That's right. And I looked and up this said, episode. You will podcast in the future. That's right. This podcast this is nothing like the, that podcast because they've irrevocably changed the timeline. It's true. Yeah. That's why we're all speaking German. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I'm not gonna, if, I, if I try to yeah. do a, a German accent, it'll come out French because I can't do accents. <laughs> All right, time to take another break for our second sponsor, and it's another returning sponsor. We love those. We love for them to be back. It's HostGator. HostGator.com, a premier web hosting and domain name provider. If you're looking to start a website, HostGator can help you get started with monthly hosting plans, one-click installs, and tons of other features that make getting your site up and running easy. If you're a more advanced user or a business, HostGator can take care of you with reseller plans, VPS, and dedicated servers. HostGator guarantees 99.9% uptime and no matter your size or needs. If you're a WordPress user, you're going to love their one-click installs and optimized hosting platform. When you host with HostGator, HostGator, you get unlimited disk space and bandwidth. They have free site builder tools that are super easy to use. But if you find yourself needing any help, they have 24-7 support to ensure everything is running smoothly. So head on over to HostGator.com. That's H-O-S-T-G-A-T-O-R.com, like alligator, to learn more. And when you decide to purchase, don't forget to use 
this coupon code, Snell sent me 10. S N E L L, that's me. S E N T M E 1 0. Snell sent me 10. The days of Dan sent me are over. Now Snell sent me 10 is here. You'll get 30% off everything at hostgator.com when you use the code Snell sent me 10. And thank you very much to the good people at Hostgator for once again sponsoring The Incomparable. So I was reminded uh, we should talk a little bit about other alt history that um, we have known because there's a lot of it out there, um, especially in books. The the book that came to mind for me while I was reading this for lots of obvious reasons is The Proteus Operation, which is by James P. Hogan, mm-hmm. which is a very clever book. It is also a, you know, it's... There's a lot of fascination with World War II. He was obviously a World War II buff uh, and and of military strategy. But what I really like about it is that it 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 is um, it flips the kind of time travel tropes on its head. In that that that's a book where we start in 1973 and the world is at war. Um, the U.S. is the last surviving democracy. Um, under President, I think Joe Kennedy, <laughs> um, and uh, and Hitler has won the war, and and the Germans and the Japanese are all kind of like gradually spreading out over the world. And so, in a last ditch effort to save the world, they build a time machine and send a crack team of people back to World War II to try and change the course of history. And so, what you get is our time travelers from this dystopian you know, future of 1973 are trying to change the past to be better. And what they're doing is they're changing it to be our history. And I love that. I, th- I love that as a premise that what ends up happening mm. is what happened. And so it's the time travel <laughs> book where they're screwing with history to make what we know as our history, uh, which I thought was a lot of fun. So that that's the one that I was thinking of as I was reading these is this, this um, alt history where we start in the alt world and then we're our history is the alt history which i thought was a lot of fun i'm not sure if you guys have good uh alt history examples that you wanted to you wanted to bring up oh sure i mean uh the man in the high castle by philip dick which yep. that i mean it's just kind of nuts my uh my brother pushed that on me years and years ago and said here you'll like this because at the time i was reading fatherland by um uh, oh yeah uh, oh, oh was it robert harris Robert Harris, yes. Uh, yeah, yeah. And that's it's set in the 60s after a, a successful German uh, victory in World War II. And it's it's just everyday life in the aging Hitler's Germany. And uh, our hero solves a murder. And there's no, I mean, it, it is pure alt history. There's no time travel. There's no sense that, oh, this is wrong. This is just, here's what it would be like in the 60s. Um, which is wonderful. There's well, no, I, the book is wonderful. I mean, <laughs> sure. <laughs> I, I, I love the outcome. Of the, I mean, I mean the book, the novel, the fiction. <laughs> um, and then there's, there's a book that we had on the shelf, um, that my mother got at some point. It's originally a German novel. Uh, in English, it's called the Royal project. And it's about the Vatican, uh, trying to restore, the House of Stuart to the English throne by using a time machine invented by Leonardo da Vinci, <laughs> which is nuts. But it's a really interesting book. Um, and she just got it because she she liked to collect Vatican thrillers and sci-fi novels. And there's a ridiculous number of Vatican thrillers out there. Who knew? Um, but that, I mean, that was just just fun because it's it's got that whole weird time travel thing going on. And then I was going to say the Proteus operation, uh, uh, Watch Watchmen. Watchmen, sure, has got a, a really interesting alt history to it, and, and all the Nixon stuff. Yes, Nixon still, uh, still, <laughs> still in office in the eighties, but RR is going to run for president, and it turns out that that's Robert Redford, not Ronald Reagan. <laughs> what? Uh, it's Watchmen. It's the comics, Scott. It's comic books, uh, funny books. Oh yeah, and uh, and then the Difference Engine. By William Gibson oh, yeah. and Bruce Sterling, which is what modern computers a hundred years early. Yeah, can we say is that like like steampunkish? Is that like origin yeah. of steampunk? Uh, yeah, or before it got all ironic with hats and zeppelins? 
Oh yeah, I, I, they, as I recall, they clearly wrote it with that in mind. Yeah. And, I think that's yeah. my least favorite thing William Gibson has participated creatively in. In any yes. way, <laughs> actually, I like Bruce Sterling and I like William Gibson, and the Difference Engine just didn't float my boat. I, I didn't like that no. that much. I remember enjoying it, but I remember nothing about it. So, Scott, what about you? You have any favorite uh, alt histories that you can not remember? David uh, stole almost all of my answers. Oh. Uh, he's cheating, I think. He's reading uh, we, off your paper. Man in the High Castle is. is a good one. Yes. Uh, well, I was going to a series that we, we've discussed on previous episodes. Uh, Joe Walton's Small Change series. Right. Farthing. Farthing. Hey Penny and Half a Crown. All very good. All alternate history. Alternate history with uh, with Mr. Hitler being uh, ambulatory <laughs> at the end of the war. Yes. Going to operas and right. making trouble. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so those are good. Uh, the Mirage by Matt Ruff is uh, uh, it's kind of a alt history uh, that kind of is it kind of falls apart at the end. But it's uh, oh it's, right. Uh, so it's like instead of uh, you know uh, America on nine eleven getting attacked by uh, Middle Eastern terrorists. Uh, the uh, Twin Towers are in the Middle East, and they are attacked by American terrorists. Uh, and so it kind of flips that around and does a whole bunch of stuff with that, which is interesting. Yeah, that, that, that book I, I haven't read, but it strikes it reminds me of the uh, book Osama mm-hmm. that I did read by Lavi Titar. I don't know how to pronounce um, that author's name. but And that, that's the idea of the, it's the pulp. It's the series of pulp novels about a guy named Osama bin Laden. Um, and he, the, this guy is trying to find them and it, it, similarly kind of bizarre alternate view of, of, uh, of nine 11, very strange, strange books. And there's one book that I have purchased, but I have not read huh? by, uh, Norman Spinrad called the iron dream. Uh, I don't know if you've, anyone has read any Norman Spinrad, but he is, mm-hmm. uh, He's a good writer, but he, uh, well, he's dead now. Uh, but he's also kind of, it's completely crazy. And so the, the premise of this story is that Adolf Hitler emigrated to America before World War One, and then he wrote a science fiction novel uh, about uh, basically Nazi Germany. <laughs> huh. And I bought it because it has the craziest cover I have ever seen in a used bookstore uh, with, like, <laughs> this, this uh, motorcyclist uh, on a motorcycle... And the tires are all, their tread marks are all swastikas. <laughs> mm. And so I said, well, I mean, it's a dollar. I need to buy this. <laughs> he, wrote the, uh, he wrote the Doomsday Machine, an excellent Star Trek episode. Norman Spinrad. Yes. Oh, he's not dead. I take it back. Sorry, Norman Spinrad. If you're listening, guys, <laughs> I apologize. I thought you were dead, but you're not. He's alive. He was, he's only born in 1940. He's only 73. He's a young, he's a young fellow. That's right. Yeah. He could be right. I'm sure he, right now he's writing something. Yes, about about tread marks with swastikas <laughs> in them. I was going to bring up the Yiddish Policeman's Union. Oh yeah, uh, which yeah. is a, another alt but alt history by Michael Chabon about. Um, again, it's coming out of World War II. It's the uh, uh, instead of forming Israel, they put the Jewish refugees in Alaska, and uh, and then it's set at the time when the Jewish refugee. Uh, zone is going to expire and there's tension internationally because the all the refugees are being repatriated. The U.S. doesn't really want them, so they're being repatriated. Uh, and there's, uh, you know, an alt history for World War II in general that's hinted at. And uh, and then there's a murder mystery. And there's also some fascinating sort of Jewish mysticism stuff too. Um, but I, I like that because it's this bizarre setting that I, who would have thought that you'd have the Jewish state in Alaska and have those things all mashed up together. But uh, Michael Chabon, he's the one who thought it up. There's also uh, Connie Willis and her, um, to, to say nothing of the dog, the doomsday book, and then blackout and all but those clear. are those are time travel, but they don't seem to interfere with time. They, there's no, nothing alternate about the past they go into, right? Yeah. Well, in the first two, they're historians, and they are trying to not screw up the past. In Blackout and All Clear, they do kind of get screwed up and have to, you know, 
I, I think some of the characters wind up having to accept living in the past. They're just right. stuck. They, they're stuck, but is, they're stuck in they're stuck in our time though. They're not stuck in like an alternate. Pretty much alternate. Pretty much, yeah. Right. Yeah. I think I kind of, I tend to think of alt histories uh, as being separate than time travel. They may have they may involve time travel, but it's always right. about usually in alt histories some critical key moment in history is slightly different. It's like the Marvel what if comics, right? right? What if uh, oh, Galactus yeah. was made of jello? Uh, <laughs> and then so then, he would eat himself. The end. <laughs> That's why they don't hire I, me to write this what if comics. <laughs> I, I remember years ago when I was going through a, a Robert Heinlein kick and getting more and more frustrated as I went along because I started with, like, lesser Heinlein. And um, I think it was his, it's like one of his last novels, to, to Sail Beyond the Sunset, where you get something like seven-eighths of the way through the book and then all of a sudden it's about, you know, there's this just random mention of, Oh, and then Abraham Lincoln died in 1893 or something like that. And you realize that you've been in an alternate history the whole ah. time. And I remember getting, I, it just pissed me off. It's like, son of a, threw the book across the room. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I'm kind of not a huge Heinlein fan. But anyway. Long story short. <laughs> See, you're right, Scott. There's this intersection of of uh, time travel and, and alt history. Um and parallel, you know, the whole parallel universe thing too, where mm-hmm. where the alt history is a parallel universe. So um, Robert Sawyer's Neanderthal books, um, are, I'm reminded oh, of because yeah. they, there's a a person from our world travels into a parallel world. Well, a, a, a what is it? A Neanderthal from a world where Neanderthals evolved and became dominant, and humans died out, travels accidentally to our world. Um, and then likewise, then a human travels to their world. Um, and that's sort of an alt history, but it's a, you know, a alt history of hundred thousand years ago, <laughs> I guess. Uh, but uh, those were, those were pretty interesting. And, you know, Harry Turtledove has made an oh. entire career mm-hmm. writing books oh. about various alt histories, guns of the South, right? Where, where, um, Southerners or no South Africans, uh, apartheid South Africans travel back in time and ship in machine guns to the Confederacy so that racism can win the day. Actual, <laughs> actual story. Like actual story. I think that was Turtle Dove. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's Harry guns. Yeah. guns I've, I've not South. read any of his books, but I have read about the plot of Guns of the South. <laughs> yeah, I've I've read. A little bit of his stuff. He wrote a he under a pseudonym. He wrote a great short story that I like a lot called Hindsight. That was an analog magazine that was about um, science fiction writers and, and editors. Um, and and uh, a science fiction writer discovers this this story that he had outlined, but sort of filed as I'll write it later. Um, and that full story is published in a magazine under somebody else's name. And he thinks, is this aliens and mind control and all that? And it turns out it's a woman from 30 years in the future who's gone back in time. And, and one of the things she does to make a living is sell classic short stories and novels of the future (laughs) in the past, including some that are, are not fiction, but in the past they're considered science fiction. Um, what Watergate, that's a real story. That's one of the lines that I like a lot. And again, it plays with that, that idea that our, um, you know, our 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 present seen from the past would seem ridiculous and science fictional. Not quite alt history, but it's Harry Turtledove. Close enough. <laughs> Anything Harry Turtledove writes, under a pen name or not, is close enough to alt history. He's he lives in an alternate world. I think he does. Well, and there's a a play by a Twitter friend of mine, a playwright who's you you might you might see reviews of his plays at io9.com, which blew my mind the first time I, I called up the page and went wait a minute i know those people that's weird hmm. um and his name is mac rogers and he i mean he, he writes a lot of science fiction theater which is cool and he has one play called universal robots which is a play off of the uh rossum's universal robots Rossum's universal robots and and the story is about what if the robots had gotten out of control and took over czechoslovakia before world <laughs> war ii and and it just sort of again spins off what would happen if you had this sort of robotic uh, country in the middle of World War II, and it's it's a lot of fun. All right, should we move on to uh, the 
musical question that everybody's not asking except me, which is, what are you reading? I'd like to ask. <laughs> and Scott, you haven't been on in so long. You've probably read like 15,000 books. But, you know, let's, let's, I'm, I'm interested in interested. Uh, what interesting things that you've been reading lately. Oh, well, I've been reading these three books about this task force. Well, yes. From, uh, it goes without uh, saying, those really. Books, obviously. Uh, uh, well, this month I've read a couple of books in addition to that. I've read The Thousand Names. Which is so apparently there's now a subgenre of fantasy uh, that is called uh, flintlock magic or something like that. So basically, it's the idea that it's a fantasy book, people have muskets, and there's magic. <laughs> so, this is a subgenre now. Uh, and uh, The Thousand Names by Django Wexler, I guess his name is, uh, is the first in a trilogy of books uh, about. There's uh, this one reminds me of another author that I like a lot. I've mentioned before, uh, K.J. Parker. Uh, very different, but very similar as well. It's about this military force that goes into this country, and they're you don't you're not quite sure why they're going in there, and they're looking for the thousand names, which I won't say what they are. And then there are insurgents that are attacking them, and you think, well, is there magic? There may not be magic. It might just be coincidences. Turns out, spoiler alert, there's magic. Uh-huh. Um, uh Yes, and rifles. So there you go. That's the twist. Uh, I've read another book called Low Town, based on a recommendation by uh, an author, Mike Cole, who writes military science fiction. Uh, on, he, on Twitter, he said everyone should read Low Town. So I was like, all right, I'll read it. Uh, and I did. Uh, and it's kind of... Uh, what, how, how to describe it? It's... Uh, a detective story, basically, uh, in this kind of... It's like fantasy noir, uh, where this this down-on-his-luck guy is is going around trying to figure out something. And that's all I will say. It's really good, though. It's better than that very brief and poor synopsis. <laughs> a guy is trying to figure things out. <laughs> and, uh, Sign me up. You've never read a book like this uh, by <laughs> Daniel Polanski uh, is his name. So check that out. Uh, and uh, The Thousand Names was good as well. The Thousand Names is like 800 pages long. And uh, if you aren't really into a lot of military talk, you might not want. And you want more magic in your fantasy. Because the magic happens like maybe page 700, there's a little magic in it. Ah. So you might not want to uh, get into that. All right. David, what are uh, what are you reading? Well, I got two right now. I'm reading a graphic novel. Um, so the next few seconds for Scott will just be like white noise. This is book club, um, not great. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it's it's a book called Templar by Jordan Mechner. Mechner, I think. Is that the guy who did Prince of Persia? Exactly. That's a video game. What is going on? <laughs> I I all I I have no idea. I saw it in the library and went, what's this? So for what are you reading? You've chosen a graphic novel <laughs> written by a guy who does video <laughs> games. <laughs> How did you get on this podcast? <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna do a Hang book on. that's like a cookbook by a celebrity, uh, not even a celebrity chef, a cookbook by a, a political pundit. Just because it's <laughs> random, who knows what it could be? Plus, you didn't even finish the book we were talking about. <laughs> I didn't even look at the names on the on the cover. I just opened it up and well, what's this? And and saw that saw that it was described as sort of a blend of Name of the Rose and Ocean's Eleven. And I just walked right to the desk. I'm like, I'm taking this out now. Huh. Um, and when I got home, it's like, oh, wait a minute. Video game guy. Huh. Um, so it's pretty cool. And I've got The Lies of Locke Lamora. Oh, yes. By oh, Scott Lynch sitting good. here, which I haven't, I haven't started. And I have. Probably either one of you could describe better than I can. Um, and partly because Scott's one of the people who said, oh, yes, you should read that. Dan Warren bought that book for me. He gifted it to me. He said, it's 99 cents. Read oh, it. That's right. That's right. Just, Dan boom. was one of the other ones who yeah. said, oh, yes, you will like this. Second one, not as good. Hopefully the third one will be very good, which is coming out very soon. Yeah. But I, I yeah, Liza Lachlamora is one of the ones that I'm, uh, I'm, I'm reading that right now. And it's interesting. I'm still trying to figure out exactly what's going on. Um, yeah. Okay. Because there's a there's a, there's a prologue that is like a whole book. It's a very long prologue, and then it, and then you you get to the end of that, and you're thinking, "Whew, 
boy, what will happen next in chapter two? And you flip the page and it says chapter one. And you say, what? <laughs> I was still reading the prologue. <laughs> but that's just how it is with that book. And then there's, it's all thieves and they're stealing things from, it's thieves and then other people who are thieves. And then like, everybody's a thief in this, in this Thieves city. all the way down. It's thieves. It's all thieves. <laughs> uh, so I've got that and I'm reading that now. I, I, I finished reading another, um, recommendation another dan morin recommendation actually midnight riot or uh, rivers of london if you prefer by ben aronovich which is an mm-hmm. urban fantasy about a um reminded me a lot of um the rook in some ways because mm-hmm. it's it's a uh sort of supernatural cop in london so it had a little a little echo of the rook which we recommended on a previous show which is a great book um and i liked it I liked it a lot. Um, and a book that I read recently that I really liked is Nexus by Ramez Nam, who mm. I was actually, I bought it because I was on a podcast with him. I was on the Boing Boing podcast with him and Mark Fraunfelder. And I, I thought, hey, author of sci-fi, I will buy your book now as I'm talking to you. And he's got a new book out now. Um, but this is his previous one. And I liked it a lot. It is a... Uh, crazy kind of like he's exploring lots of issues while also having lots of crazy action so he doesn't shy away from from it's not a boring book where it's like let's talk about issues it's it's there's lots of crazy action but the the premise is that in the near future these people have come up with this it's like a drug but it's also like nanotech and it's and it's called nexus and it essentially um goes into your brain and it turns your brain into a computer that can be interfaced with other brains and they can write software just in your brain. They don't need to like implant anything in your brain. It's just the the drug, the this nano stuff is in your in your brain. Um, and then it plays out all the ramifications of that. Again, sort of like what we said about the, the time travel ramifications. I really like it when they play out all of the questions. So this is, wouldn't this be cool? You could, you know, you can experience the emotional states of the people around you and you can kind of all kind of connect together and uh, achieve a higher consciousness. But it also means you can like do mind control and create assassins who are unwilling assassins and all these terrible Mm -hmm. things and create a dystopia where governments are using this to undermine freedom of thought. And it's all kind of in there together along with some kind of um, almost singularity like stuff about, you know, if you, if you do enough of this, are they people anymore or are we sort of past people uh, and to some transhuman kind of thing? Really interesting along with, like I said, a lot of fun kind of crazy action through the eyes of the two main characters who are a scientist who has gotten caught up in this, the development of Nexus and a woman who is a, uh, a, an operative for the U S government who, when we are introduced to her, we sort of feel like she's, you know, we're, we're meant to think that the U.S. government, yay, we're we're all for the U.S. government. And then as the book goes along, you're like, maybe I'm not for the U.S. government after all, which is a nice flip around too. So Nexus, uh, Ramez Nam, I, I, I recommend it. I like that one a lot. So that's what I've been reading. And then I read also these three books about these 21st century uh, Navy people who get plopped down in 1940. Yeah, That's crazy. It's pretty wild. Tell me more. It's pretty wild. And Eliza Lamora, you know, because Dan Morin shoved it into my hands and said, read this. Okay, he well, shoved it into my Amazon account. Same thing. It's true. Well, yeah. I can I can confirm that Dan is not lying. It's a good book. And if you don't like it, there's something wrong with you. All right, fair enough. <laughs> fair enough. So that that I think we've uh I think we've settled all the old scores. Uh Scott, how how was it? Are you are you back on the on the bicycle now? Back? Uh I, well, you know, I think I might need I might need another one. Under my belt before yeah. I can get to my the same level of podcasting excellence oh, enough. that I've delivered before. We're just knocking the rust off now. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Fair enough. And David, you know, you've you are uh you are in full podcasting shape now, I think. Apparently. I you know, I colors are more vivid, the hair is <laughs> cleaner. I mean it's amazing. Maybe and for the next book club, maybe you'll finish the book. <laughs> yes, well. I'll put you one up on Dan and Glenn. Oh, <laughs> Hey, I read almost all of the Hugo books. So, did you read almost all of them? Like you read four of them, or did you read like eighty <laughs> yes. percent of all five? I, I just read like eighty percent of each one. Yeah, it's a good way to go. Sure. 
No, I just kind of looked at 2312 and went, eh, no. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, the, the the title suggests that you should only read 23% of it, or perhaps 12% of it. Or, yeah, 12. Yeah. I still like 2312. Sorry, sorry, Scott. You you actually you actually liked that and voted for the Hugo, and then the Hugo said, congratulations, John Scalzi, for oh. red shirts. <laughs> Shocking that John Scalzi's red shirt would have That's won fine. Feed, feed, or not feed, but the third book in the new Slash trilogy finished last, so, you know. So, uh, Small that, victories. That did restore a little of my faith yeah. in the voters. Yeah. yeah, my fellow voters. I should say. Clearly, our, our yes, clearly our issue is with the nomination process and not with the uh, final voting process. So, yeah, it's true. It yeah. is true. All right. Well, we've learned what would happen if Galactus was made of Jello. No, <laughs> I think we did. And we and we learned uh, we learned lots of things about uh, the history that didn't happen. Right. And what if the Nazis were made of jello. And and more importantly, we have I think 200 iTunes reviews now, which is great. If you haven't <laughs> if you haven't reviewed the incomparable on iTunes, please do it. That helps us a lot. And for those who did participate in our in our uh, challenge, thank you. Most especially to Dave Gork Roger, who yes. indeed got to uh, have us read books. And look, he sold he sold a book to David. He sold three books to me and he sold two books to scott who had already bought one of them but hadn't read it yet so he sold one to past scott who to knew? retroactively to past scott exactly who knew australians could write and read and he sold the book <laughs> to dan morin who then didn't really read much of it and didn't come on the podcast so always a disappointment but, that morin yeah and and there are two more books that i have to buy yeah exactly no they're interesting i'd recommend them i i, I would say anybody yeah. who who likes um Military stuff, war stuff, and, and sci-fi oh, yeah. would really would really like it. And if you're interested, if you're intrigued by what we talked about about the culture clash stuff, I guess I'd say just kind of motor through the first twenty five percent of the book, and <laughs> then true. although if you're a big J. Edgar Hoover fan, you may not you want to read these may books. not want to read these books because <laughs> these books fully endorse the the J. Edgar Hoover. Uh, uh, alt history <laughs> of him being closeted yeah. and liking to dress in women's clothes and all those things that are not I, I believe not entirely substantiated in the historical record I looked it up I was like were those was that proven to be true and very little of of Hoover's history is 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 proven to be that it's it's much more just speculation um but the book runs with it which is yes. actually kind of funny and fun in a way it is funny but i kept reading i was like sheesh this guy really doesn't like hoover oh, hoover <laughs> all of the axes to grind against j edgar hoover yeah yeah if you hate j edgar hoover oh, yeah. this is a buy books. these books immediately <laughs> absolutely hoover fans steer clear <laughs> hoover it's a valuable is service that we, we yes. provide here on the, the hoover cast that's right our friends at the j edgar hoover podcast are going to be really upset with this series let me tell you <laughs> all right well that wraps up another uh exciting book club edition of the incomparable so i'm going to say goodbye to my fine well-read guests david lore thanks for being here thank you for having me and scott mcnulty welcome back thank you for being back with us and reading the books as always thank you for having me. I, I was uh concerned that i had been cast from the incomparable uh, galaxy. No, and no. I ended up in a, another universe where it never happened. You were not I available. I was the only person who remembered it. Plus, you were our dungeon master. That's true. How could we not have our dungeon master with us? That would be a, that. That is an alternate past too horrific to contemplate. <laughs> I agree. Yes. Okay. Well, until next time, or until somebody goes back in time and creates a parallel universe, and we have to start again from episode one. Please don't do that. No. Oh dear God. I am your host, Jason Snell. Thank you for listening. Don't go back in time. Don't mess up the time stream. And we'll see you next time. 